Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I'm going to speak on 10 ways in which the Bible changes our lives. And uh, if you didn't get the sermon notes when you came in, um, our ushers are back there. You can raise your hand. If you don't have a note and you would like to have one, they'll bring one to you. So um, there's several around here. So keep your hand raised until you get one. All right, I want to speak to you this morning on the, the Bible, and my objective is to increase our faith in the life-changing power of God's Word. This is one of those messages that have been has grown in my life over the years. It started out as two or three points, and then it grew to four, and then eight, and now it's up to ten, and you may be able to think of some scriptures that can even add to our understanding of the many ways and the many benefits that we gain from reading the scriptures. So let's get started, and there's uh, some scriptures as a matter of introduction that I want to acquaint you to just to give a few comments about the the way that the Word of God works in our life. And the first scripture is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires interesting how this verse describes the Bible as like a sword. It's like a sword. It's living, it's powerful, and it's like a two-edged sword. That means that the Bible is capable of making precise surgical incisions within the soul and the spirit, is what this verse is saying. And that means the Bible has the power to do an inner, inner renovation an inner cleansing and a transforming of our heart, of what's going on inside. The Bible is, can reveal what's hidden there. It can reveal the, the, uh, the, what's suppressed within our life and can bring exposure to those areas that need changing and that the lies that we have embraced, it brings truth to those and we can walk in freedom as a result. So, the Bible exposes us to the truth, and it, and it, it, it acts like a sword, bringing this surgery. That in surgery isn't always fun, but it's always beneficial, right? And what, I want to connect then that thought, that verse, to the verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. This is in the context with the, uh, the armor, putting on the armor of God, and so it lists the many armors and the pieces of armor. And one of them is the the truth, which is the word of God. And it says, and the word of God is the sword of whom? The spirit. So uh, Hebrew says it's like a sword, but then Ephesians describes that it's a sword in the hands of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is the instrument of grace used by the Holy Spirit for the changing of our life, for the sanctification of our soul, for the transformation of our inner heart. And so it's the divine instrument of grace that the Holy Spirit uses. The Holy Spirit doesn't work by magic. He works by means. He works by the means of grace that God has given us, which is 
the word of truth, the word of grace. And he uses that to change our life. And that's what Jesus told us in John's gospel, chapter 16, verse 13. And that verse is included there in your um, introduction notes. But I'll, I'll read the full context of the verse. It says, when Jesus is speaking here, and he says, when he, that is the spirit of truth, when the Holy Spirit comes, and when did the Holy Spirit come? He came at Pentecost, right? So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. It was the last act of Jesus' ministry before he ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit, and, and Jesus said, this is why I am sending him. This is what his ministry will be, and this is what he will do. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, notice how he's described as the Spirit of truth. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, when he, the Spirit that, that works With the word of God, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. Jesus gives a clear description of the ministry of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that's important to note is that I want to distinguish between the the working of the Spirit with the Word and this Bible as merely a book. The power of the Bible is not the fine leather cover that I have and the odor of this fine leather cover like... Mmm, smell that raw cowhide. I mean, growing up on the farm, I can appreciate mm, the cowhide. But the, the power of the Word of God is not the leather cover. It's not whether it's a, you know, a Cambridge Bible or a Nelson Bible. It doesn't, it, it's, the power is not in the ink. It's not in the paper. It, it's not that whether it's onion skin or what. It, it's not that it is the book itself. It's in the life-giving message that is contained in these words. Plus, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who takes these words, historical words, written words, prophetic words, and then applies them personally and applicably to our current contemporary situation. Because our minds on our own are dull. Our minds are blind, we cannot see, our hearts are hardened so that we're not willing to submit to the Word of God. But it's the Holy Spirit who takes the Word of God and makes the Word of God powerful. So when when I say I'm going to talk to you today about ten ways that the Word of God changes your life, I wanted to clarify that it's it's the Word of God used as an instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit that changes our our life. It's the Word and the Spirit working together. So in the hands of the Holy Spirit, the Bible becomes this powerful, precise instrument of grace that transforms us. There was this man that came up to an old preacher, the old missionary statesman named Gypsy Smith, and he said that he had read the Bible through and received no help, no encouragement whatsoever by reading the Bible through. Gypsy Smith says, well, let it go through you. You've read it through, but let the Bible go through you once 
and you'll come and tell me a different story. So there's a difference in reading the Bible through and letting the Bible go through us. And it reminds me of the verse in James where it says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So there's a certain disposition of heart and attitude that we should bring to the Word of God in order to cooperate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And by that way, the Bible changes our life. Receive with meekness the engrafted Word, and that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He takes, He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy in Ezekiel and Jeremiah where God saw the stubbornness of men's hearts, the hardness of men's hearts, the close-mindedness of men's minds. And he says, I, there's, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and I'm going to take your hearts of stone and make them into flesh and I'm going to write my word upon your heart so that we want to obey God's law, so we love God's law. So we receive with, minist- with, with meekness the ministry of the Holy Spirit who imprints God's word upon our hearts, which is then able to save our soul. Jesus says, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so this is how we live as a believer. We cannot live any other way but by receiving God's word and feeding on God's word every day. And so let's dive into 10 ways that the Bible changes our life. And again, I, I, my prayer today is that this will increase your confidence in the Word of God. The first way that the Bible changes our life is it opens our eyes to see Jesus. The purpose of the Bible is actually for this very reason. It's to show us Jesus, to reveal Jesus to us. He shows us, the Bible reveals to us how we can only come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way we can have a relationship with God. And the Bible is God's word to mankind to help us know how we can have relationship with God. And the only way is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is God's story about Jesus, about a redeemer, about God's plan of redemption by sending his son to this world to bring a recreation to this world. Now, here's some verses that describe and explain this. They're in your notes there. The first one is John 20, verse 31. Jesus said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why is the gospel written? Why is the word of God written? It's written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing the message about Jesus, we may have life in his name. Remember how John's gospel starts out in John 1? Uh, This reference is not in your notes, but you might want to jot down the reference in the margin. It's John 1, 1 and 14. John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who was that? (laughs) 
That was Jesus, right? Jesus is the Word, the Word who became flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so it's interesting how Jesus is described there as a Word, the Word. The Word reveals Jesus to us. Jesus is God's Word to mankind. You, like Charles Wesley wrote that beautiful hymn, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I mean, what greater persuasion do you need that God loves you than the ministry of Jesus and his dying on the cross for your sins? He is a message from heaven to us, from the Father. And then Luke 24, verse 27. (coughs) This is from one of the greatest stories that I love in the Bible. It's after Jesus' resurrection. He meets up with some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they don't know who he is. He's a stranger to them. But all of a sudden, Jesus, they're talking about the events in Scripture. And Jesus begins to open up the Scriptures to them. And the Bible says, in, or, or their testimony afterwards says, and he showed them all the things in the Scriptures concerning himself. And here's what Luke 24, 27 says. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the Bible opens our eyes to see Jesus. You've heard of, uh, the, of uh, Handel's Messiah, uh, the Hallelujah Chorus. George Frederick Handel was his name. And he's famous for like, by the age of nine years old, he was writing cantatas. And a few years after he was nine, about 10 or 11, he was asked to play before the king of Prussia. He was so renowned for his excellence in writing cantatas. But in time, he came upon some um, adversity in his life. And uh, his father died. His music was no longer selling. He became very poor He became bankrupt, matter of fact, and he was in despair. And in this dark, dark valley of life, he closeted himself. He closed himself up in a room for 24 days, pouring over the scriptures. And through that experience, during that time, he wrote the amazing Hallelujah Chorus, the oratorio called The Messiah. He became so enraptured with the scriptures as he was reading them during that time. This time of despair, remember. Time of sadness, time of hopelessness. That he began to read the scriptures and he exclaimed, he said, I, it seemed like I did see heaven open and the great God himself seated on his throne. And Revelations chapter 7 and 19 especially moved Handel. And to hear his thrilling hallelujah chorus, you'd think that he was caught up in the refrain of heaven in the company of the Trinity himself. And uh, many years ago, I was uh, working in the Olympics in 1980 in, in Lake Placid and serving on the, the religious committee doing some evangelism there in the streets of Lake Placid. And, and I was walking along the street one day and there was this cigar shop. I needed a cigar. No, not really. I saw back in the back corner a bookshelf of old leather books for sale. I went back there and there's this beautiful set of 
of, of leather volumes, and I pulled one off the shelf, and, and it, it, I, I never even knew this set existed. It was um, John Newton sermons. John Newton is the famous former slave trader who wrote um, Amazing Grace. That's the, the John Newton. And he wrote a series of sermons. He was inspired to take the scripture text that Handel used in writing his Messiah. And he took those texts of scripture and preached a series of sermons from those scripture texts. And these are, these are such rich messages uh, uh, exalting Jesus Christ. And I've always wanted to do that myself, to preach a series on the, the, the text that Handel use there but i yes i did buy those books and i have them at home and they're they're treasured volumes john newton's sermons from the text that handel used in writing the messiah so that was a an illustration showing us how the bible can open our eyes to see jesus as it did to handel during that time of of great darkness and discouragement in his life So the Bible opens our eyes to see Jesus. The second thing the Bible does is that it awakens our conscience. Here's a couple verses. They're there in your notes. Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of your words give light. The entrance of your words give light. There's another verse that I am fond to, uh, I, I love to quote and remind myself of i think it's in proverbs or maybe in psalms that says in your light we see light where do we find light in his light the only the only way for us to get light for our path is by looking at the light he has to give us and so the bible has this this means of grace of of revealing God's light, God's way, God's truth, that it opens up our conscience to understand God and light. And uh, I'll I'll repeat again the verse I started with in Hebrews 4.12. It says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. It does surgery within our soul and our spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament about King Josiah. And in 2 Kings chapter 22, it says that when the king of of Israel heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. So he heard the word of God being read, and it had such a powerful effect that he tore his clothes, and, uh, and he said this. He says, go and inquire of the Lord, for the wrath of the Lord is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written. So there's a wonderful example of how the word of God arrested the conscience of King Josiah. And I want to tell you this morning that the word of God is still alive today as it was in King Josiah's day. God is still alive and God is still speaking. The Holy Spirit is alive and he takes the word of God and he can speak to our generation. Amen? 
He can awaken consciences in, in our generation as well. He can, he can break hardened hearts in our day as well. And so the Bible awakens our conscience. There was a group of young men who were having a party, and they found a Bible. They decided that they would make entertainment out of the Bible. And uh, what they were going to do is ridicule the early Methodist preachers by mimicking their preaching and making fun of their preaching. And they would stand up and take a text and act like they were preaching like an old Methodist preacher. And so they made this bet, this wager between them as to who could stand up and who would be the best at mimicking a Methodist preacher. And the name of one young man who stood up to take his turn, his name was John Thorpe. And he stood up laughing and ridiculing irreverently the word of God. And he took the Bible and he opened up to the text and his eyes fell upon these words. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And he thought, I'll preach on that text. And so he began to preach like a Methodist preacher, of course, ridiculing and making fun and and joking about it. But as the longer he began to preach on that text, the more the scripture began to take a grip upon his conscience and his heart became awakened. And his own testimony says, he said, my hair stood on end as I was doing this, as I preached in earnest. And as soon as I finished, I ran home and I fell on my knees and I called on God in genuine repentance. And after that, John Thorpe became one of the famous early Methodist preachers himself. (laughs) Just uh, the Holy Spirit gripped him in that moment by this one text of Scripture. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I've also read this story about a bartender who liked music. And so he decided, well, a good place where they sing music is in the church. And so I'll go to church to listen to the music. And that's the only reason he wanted to go to church was because of the music. Matter of fact, he was scared of the preaching. He hated the preaching. And so um, when the preachers got up to preach, he, he sat there with his head down to his knees and he, he shoved his fingers in his ears while the preacher was preaching. And he did that and he tried to endure that the whole length of the sermon. But then all of a sudden, a fly flew by and landed on his nose and began to tickle his nose. So he had to wipe the fly, you know, swat the fly away from his nose. And the instant that, that, that he took the fingers out of his ears, the, the, the scripture the preacher gave was, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> and that simple part of the word of God took a grip upon his conscience and awakened him and he found no relief from that one verse of scripture that he heard until he gave his life to Christ and became a converted man. (laughs) You've probably heard stories. Someone was sharing a story with me after the first service that they have heard. It's amazing the power of the word of God to uh, awaken our conscience. There was this woman whose husband was an alcoholic and As a result, she was miserable and and unhappy until someone gave her a Bible and she became a believer. She began to walk with Jesus. She found much comfort in reading the Bible and it became her most treasured possession. 
her husband would come home and see her reading the Bible and he would sneer at her and mock her and make fun of her. He said, what are you walking with Jesus for? What are you reading that book for? That book does no good for you. One night he came home and he was intoxicated and he snatched the book out of her hand and he threw it into the fireplace where there was a, a fire blazing. The next morning he got up and he was cleaning the ashes out of the fireplace and he noticed that there was a few pages that had not been burned. And his eyes fell upon Jesus' words on a piece of paper there from Matthew twenty four thirty five that says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. He looked at them. He realized what he had done in his drunkenness the night before and he was so startled and so sobered to read that message and the Holy Spirit just uh, applied it to his own heart and, and awakened his conscience and uh, convicted him that he, it brought him instantly to saving faith. The Spirit of God calling him and leading him through the Word of God into a faith relationship with the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 104 says, Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way. Would you like to increase your appetite for righteousness, for light instead of darkness, and and hate what is evil? A few months ago, Pastor Brad preached an excellent sermon on that text of Scripture from Romans that says, hate what is evil and cleave to what is good. The Bible says, Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way. That's the place of spiritual experience where God would like to see all of us be. Where we allow the Holy Spirit permission to take his instrument of grace, the word of God, the eternal life changing, living, powerful word of God as a sword to change our life and to print within our heart. Give us an appetite for the things of God. The third way the Bible changes our life is it builds our faith. Acts 20 verse 32 says, And now I entrust you to God and his care and to his wonderful words that are able to build your faith and give you an inheritance of those who are set apart for himself. Another translation puts it this way. Now I commit to you, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. And I just love the way that's phrased there. The word of God is a means of grace. It's God's instrument of grace. You want more grace? You want to receive grace? He pours the the power of his presence, his power to, to be like Jesus, that grace, that energy of God into our life. Through the word of God. It's the word of grace which can build you up. It builds up our faith. And gives you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. And then one of the best verses that tells us how the word of God increases our faith is Romans ten seventeen. Pastor Brad is yet to get to this verse. But I'm going to jump, jump ahead and, and get there ahead of him. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes how faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
The Bible builds up our faith by showing us the measurement of what God is able to do. Bible stories give us a, a visual picture of the great possibilities of God's grace in our life. I mean, read about Joseph trusting the sovereignty of God throughout all of his days of suffering. Moses obediently and courageously leading Israel across the Red Sea. Joshua and Caleb entering into Canaan, the land of promise. David facing Goliath. Jonathan and his armor bearer facing the Philistines at Michmash. We're just the two of them. God sent an earthquake and the two of them routed in a whole Philistine army as a result. Daniel in the lion's dead and Paul when he shipwrecked on the island of Malta. I mean, these Bible stories build up your faith. They encourage you. If God can do that in their life, can't he do it in my life as well? If God can provide for their needs, can't he provide for mine too? That great man of faith from Chicago of a few generations back, his name was D.L. Moody, the founder of Moody Bible Institute, said, I used to pray for faith. And I thought that someday faith would just like magically come down and strike me like lightning, like all of a sudden God would answer my prayer and I'd get it. I'd just walk as a man who would exude faith. I'd be a man of faith. I would just get it like instantly, miraculously. And I thought faith would come that way, that God would give it to me that way. But faith did not seem to come. He said, then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans that faith comes a certain way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he said, up until this time, I had basically closed my Bible and been praying for faith. But now I opened my Bible and began to read and study the Bible, and faith has been growing in my life ever since. That was a testimony of D.L. Moody in his journal. Someone has said there's three kinds of faith. There's struggling faith, like a man in deep water desperately swimming. There's clinging faith, like a man hanging on the side of a boat. And then there's resting faith. This is what God desires of all of us, to, to have a faith that rests in confidence in him. And resting faith is like a man safely within the boat and able to reach out his hand to help someone else get in the boat. Where we're living our life by a rest of faith. There's the rest that remains for the people of God, where we trust in God. A young man had no interest in God and he decided that he was going to leave home. He'd grown up as a cowboy in the Midwest on his father's ranch and he was going to explore the other side of the world and he decided he'd go to San Francisco and live the wildlife, spend his father's money there. And after a night of drunkenness, he staggered back to his hotel room and he slept until late the next day. When he awoke the next day, he saw this small book on a stand near his bed and he picked it up. It was the Gospel of Mark. Disgusted, he threw it to the floor. That evening, when he came back to his room, he noticed that the book had been laid, picked up and laid back on the nightstand by the hotel maid. And when he saw it sitting there, in the same place, the third day, 
he decided, well, maybe I should read it. And he picked it up, put it in his pocket. He took a walk to a nearby park. And he found, as he began to read the contents of the Gospel of Mark, he he found it captivating. And the story became contagious in his heart. And he couldn't lay it aside. And, And here's what he testified later. He said, I learned by reading that book that the Son of God said to a leper, Be thou clean. And he addressed himself to a paralyzed man with these cheerful words, Your sins are forgiven you. And I read how he commended a poor widow for giving her last two coins. I was so impressed when Jesus took little children in his arms and he blessed them. And then in spite of the unjust way that he was treated, he promised to shed his blood to save sinners. When I read why he died, I saw my own guilt and I found peace in believing. From that day forward, the cowboy became a different man and spent many years of his life giving out copies of the Gideon Bible. The Holy Spirit renovates and changes and transforms our life by using the Word of God to open our eyes to see Jesus, to awaken our conscience, to anchor our faith, and then fourthly, to encourage our hope. Romans 15.4 says, The Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Recently, I've been driving into the church office in the morning listening to a CD that a friend gave me of the book of Revelation being read with the London Philharmonic in the background and there's this uh, dramatic reading of the book of Revelation. And at first I thought, oh, that's a little hokey, you know, a little dramatic reading. But then I got, I mean, I got captivated by it and I have listened to that over and I probably listened 10 or 15 times and and it's only the first CD is only the first seven chapters of Revelation and and I found as I'm listening to that that by the time I get into the church I am so full of hope and expectation that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and he's going to finish what he started (laughs) and that and the scriptures bore witness through my own experience here that when you read the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God, it encourages our hope. It lifts our hope. The Scriptures give us hope, Paul said. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope. You know, God wants to give you hope this morning and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from your captivity. The Old Testament tells a story about Nehemiah and they were gathered before the water gate as they were preparing to go down and rebuild the walls. Ezra read the book of the law of Moses and the people had a great feast. It says, because they now understood the words that have been made known to them. So the Bible encourages our hope, gives us a prospect for the future. 
that encouraged the children of Israel to go down and rebuild the walls. For God is always going to be faithful to his promises, isn't he? The fifth way the Bible changes our life is that it deepens our love. It deepens our love. 1 John 2, 5 and 6 says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Whoever keeps his word, something happens. A radical change happens when you become attentive to the word of God. John says the love of God becomes perfected in you. By this we know that we are in him. The evidence of of God's transforming grace in our love in our life is love. Love is the greatest evidence of God's presence in our life and his grace at work. How's God going to shape you and change you and the person he's going to make you into? He's going to make you into a person who knows you are loved by God and he's going to make you more loving to others. There may not be any better verse that says what we're trying to teach this morning than that one. That our spiritual life is shaped by our attentiveness to the word of God. The Holy Spirit shapes our lives and makes us like Jesus through the word of God. The sixth way the Bible changes our life is by freeing us from sin. It sets us free from sin. John 8, 31 and 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What happens after we have our understanding awakened to the truth? We are set free. 1 John 2, 14 says, The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one, the wicked one. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to the word of God? How do you cleanse your life, the sin out of your life? By taking heed according to the word of God. Jeremiah 23.29 says, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? The Bible helps us overcome It's that leverage, that hammer that we need to get the job done, to become like Jesus. It defends us against spiritual attack. No better example of that than Jesus. When he started his ministry, he was uh, baptized in Jordan and the Spirit came upon him. And the next statement says the Spirit then led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he encountered three strong appeals from the enemy to divert his path away from the cross. And remember how in each case, how Jesus handled those attacks, how he handled those temptations. He diverted it off by attention to the word of God. He deflected it with a verse of scripture and he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8. And he brought the, the enemy to look at the word of God. And that's how he defeated and overcame the evil one. I love the story that comes again from John Wesley. In one of his diaries, I read this one time years ago. He was uh, going along on his horse to a uh, preaching assignment in a town. 
and he goes over a bridge. And out from under the bridge comes what they called in those days a highwayman. It was uh, like a street gangster. It was a, a street person who was robbing people. It was a, it called a highwayman. And this highwayman grabbed a hold of Wesley <coughs> and demanded his money. Wesley, in his diary, says he, he took my purse. <laughs> uh, you know, a saddlebag, his money bag. He took his purse and he ran off. And as the man is running off, first of all, let me ask you a question. What would you do in a case like that? John Wesley had a concern for the man's soul. And he yelled out to him, he said, My man! He said, if ever you want to be free from this kind of a life, then remember the word of God that says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. The man ran away. Wesley went away. Years later, Wesley is preaching in Bristol. And this giant of a man came and took a hold of Wesley. And he says, do you remember who I am? Wesley says, no. He says, I am the highwayman who robbed you on such and such a bridge that day back long ago. He said, do you remember how as I was running away, you called back to me and said, my man, if ever you want to be free from this kind of life, this entanglement of sin, then remember how the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God's son and he cleanses us from all sin. He said, I could not get away from that message of those words. They brought faith and conviction to my heart, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and today I am a Methodist preacher in such and such a town. (laughs) The power of God's word to free us from sin. Of course, it's the message of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit applying that to our heart. The seventh way the Bible changes our life is it fills us with joy. You want more joy? Psalm 19.8 says, The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Psalm 119.162 says, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. John 15.11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jesus spoke these things in order to give us joy. Martin Luther said, if I meditate on any portion of holy writ, it shines in my heart. When I meditate on the scriptures, it shines in my heart. I recommend to you a regular discipline and practice of reading the word of God, for it will bring joy to your life. It'll bring joy to you. The next change that I want to mention is that the Bible will heal your brokenness. James 1.21, we read this at the beginning of the message today. It says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, the implanted word, which is able to do something. It's able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In John 17.17, Jesus' high priestly prayer One of the things he prays for his disciples is sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So what's the purpose of the word of God? It's to sanctify us. To cleanse us. 
to conform us to Jesus. It's to heal our brokenness. So the power of the word of God to renovate our heart, to heal us, to bring cleansing to our life. The ninth thing I want to mention is that the Bible revives our spiritual life. John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the King James Version says. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word and God's spirit revives our spiritual life, brings us life. In the revival under Josiah in the Old Testament in 2 Kings, it says the book of the the law renewed their covenant and uh, revived the spiritual decline that had taken place in Israel. Friends, I just want and I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will increase our faith and confidence in the power of the Word of God for our day. We need a Bible revival in America and the Spirit of God can cause the Word of God to become alive in our generation. Amen? He can. He can do it again. Or in Canada, he can do it again. Amen? Again again and again. And the final thing I want to mention is that the Bible improves our life skills. I'm not sure I like the way I've put that. You can maybe put it a different way. But, but there's this principle that I read in the Word of God that says, in, for example, Joshua 1.8, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will become prosperous and successful. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but I do believe that as we begin to follow God's principles, as we begin to walk in the light, in his light, we see light. Life tends to go better when we're living it according to God's rules. And so I, the word of God can make our way prosperous and successful. Instead of making bad choices, we may ch- make choices that are according to the will of God. And it tends to bring success. For God is the one who knows how things work best and how he has ordered this world. So there's wisdom rather as opposed to foolishness, according to the book of Proverbs, in following the laws of God. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So those are ten ways in which the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to change our life. It opens our eyes to Jesus. It awakens our conscience. It anchors our faith. It boosts our hope. It focuses our love. It frees us from sin. It fills us with joy. It heals our soul and it brings revival and quickening to our spiritual life and to the spiritual life of our church and our generation. And it improves our life skills. Would you like the Holy Spirit to recarbonate your flat life? The Bible is the fizz factor of the spiritual life. Let the Holy Spirit 
bring the fizz back by reading the word of God. So I encourage you in this. Where, where are we now? About the third week of January and uh, in your Bible reading, don't despair wherever you're at. The, 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 the goal is not to accomplish reading through the Bible in a year or whatever goal you might have. Uh, somebody told me yesterday they want to read the Bible th- through twice this year. That's, that's amazing, uh, wonderful, complimentary. But the goal is, is to hear from the author of the book <laughs> and read until the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the reading or the hearing of the word that day, then let that be his word to your heart that day and meditate on it and mull over it and chew on it throughout the day. And it will bring you hope and joy and love and peace and all of these these features that the, the word of God, how it brings grace to us. So that's the fizz factor, the word and the spirit working together. Reading the Bible is what Paul says in to the Galatians, we're to sow to the spirit. And not to the flesh. How do you sow to the spirit? You sow to the spirit by reading the word of God. Bringing to your mind and your heart. The instrument of grace that God has appointed. To bring change and sanctification to our life. Let's pray. Thank you Lord for this lesson this morning. I pray that you will use it. To encourage our confidence. In the word of God. You have given us this book Lord. And it's not any ordinary book. It's living and powerful. It's the sword. In the hands of the Holy Spirit. We give you permission Father. To let it do its work of renovation in our heart. We say as Jeremiah. We tremble before your word. We respect it. We reverence every word. For there's no part of your word, no jot, no tittle that will not come to pass. So we we give our lives and we give our church to this hope and desire that we will be people of one book. And we ask you today for a Bible revival, for a raising up of respect to hear a word from God. You first and foremost, Lord, is who we want to hear from every day. We're weary of other voices. We're weary of other messages. Lord, we just want to hear from you. And let that be our meat. Let that be the honey to our soul. Every day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.